Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. And welcome to another episode of the Man in the Post Weekend Review Show. Um, I am your host Andy Manson, and joining me this evening is Dave Black. Hi, Andy. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, sir. Yourself? Yes, uh, very well, thank you. Good, good. Uh, let's crack right on then. Uh, a lot of games to get through from this weekend. Uh, we'll kick off with yesterday's lunchtime game. Uh, Liverpool eventually seeing off Leicester City 2-1. Uh, Sadio Mane. And Robert Firmino putting them into a fairly comfortable 2-0 lead. Uh, Rashid Ghazal then pulling Leicester back into the game off the back of a, an Alisson Howler. Uh, but Liverpool then able to hold on. Um, we've, we've had a lot of talk over the last two years in particular, I feel, with Klopp and Guardiola, Dave, in terms of... Uh, goalkeepers who are able to play out from the back. Uh, it seems that they consider this a real key step to to uh, one a solid defence and two quicker attacks from the back. Uh, we saw the the bad side of what happens when goalkeepers sink their outfield players yesterday. Uh, not the first time we've seen it um, uh, over the last couple of seasons. Do you think the ability for a goalkeeper to play the ball out from the back is, is overrated or, or do you think that's something that will become a, a bigger part of the game? Uh, no, I think it's, it's it's definitely got its benefits for the way these these managers play. They like to keep the ball on the deck and they can do it from the back with you know pretty much everyone in the team is capable of playing the ball. It's a far cry from years ago where you know your centre halves would stick the ball in the stands and do it at else. But it's when you do it, like it's there's a huge difference between playing from the back from say a goal kick, um, from doing a needless Cruyff turn when you're two 0 ahead, when you're two 0 up, Leicester were coming into the game but not really threatening. Yeah. Just clear your lines. Like there's there's no real benefit to yeah. For the yes, be nice to keep the ball at all times, but sometimes you just need to Absolutely. get rid of it. But as we said, Liverpool did uh, see their way through. Um, obviously, a lot of people see them as as Man City's closest title contenders. Did you see enough yesterday and and over the first few games to suggest that they'll be closer to City this season at least, if not necessarily title winners? Um. In some ways, yes, like, in, but not in the ways you'd think. Like yesterday um, against Leicester, the first half pretty good. Second half they were pretty poor, but it was the type of game where last season they would have ended up throwing the points away, and it was probably quite a Liverpool point of view to see them hang on and sort of do the dirty work, which they're not always that good at doing. Um, if you compare that to Manchester City this season, I don't think there's a great deal apart from what we've seen mm-hmm. so far. Um, both of them have. Both of them put to bed two poor teams quite heavily. Uh, then there's been some sort of scrappy performances along the way, but as it stands right now, there's not that much between them. But what, worryingly, I think City have got several more games to go yeah. through yet. Um, on the other side, the things Leicester uh, kind of not spectacular start from them, but I think yesterday they kind of played well enough, had chances to get back into that game. Um, 
Jamie Vardy obviously has a, a, an exceptional scoring goal, goal scoring record against Liverpool. Uh, I think they said that something like seven in his last seven games against them or something. Obviously seven the last uh, game of his three-match ban. Um, how do you think Wester? I mean, obviously there was a lot of talk over the summer about Claude Puel and whether he was was the man for the job. Um, do we still expect that Claude Puel will be... I, I think you may previously have said that you think he won't be Leicester manager by uh, end of the season. Do you do you stand by that? Yeah, I think... Uh, we talked about this last week. I think the, the board there seem quite keen on getting mm-hmm. rid of him. Um, why they haven't already done it, I'm not really sure, because the... Probably had grounds to do it towards the end of last season when they were pretty rancid from February, March time towards mm-hmm. the end of the season. Um, and the money they've spent, not necessarily all too well, of course, but um, the money they've spent as a club since they won the league, there's a amount of money gone in. And obviously, they were never going to win the league again, but they've not even really come close to, to qualifying for Europe again. Um, so there's probably good grounds to remove them. Um, to be honest, I don't think he started the season badly at all. Um, he competed well in two games, uh, good sides, obviously Man United and uh, Liverpool weekend. So I think they'd be harsh to get a room right now, but I think if he goes a sort of bad run, I think they'll be ready to bring in someone yeah. else. Uh, OK, so that's Liverpool, who, who stayed right up there at the top uh, off the back of that win. We'll now move on to Selhurst Park. Where Crystal Palace, who were, were really formidable at home last season, surprisingly went down 2-0 to, to a team that I think many see as perennial strugglers this season, Southampton. Uh, Danny Ings scoring in the 47th minute to give them a lead. And despite a fairly intense barrage towards the end of the game, uh, Southampton doubled the lead in injury time. Pierre-Emile Hoiberg uh, scoring the second. Um, really surprising game, this. Uh, for two teams that, you know, didn't, create a huge amount of chances last season you know didn't score a huge amount of goals 39 shots in total in that game yesterday um yeah David both teams I think Palace perhaps have aspirations to be looking slightly higher up the table than Southampton but um Still, somewhat of a surprise result. This considering Southampton's struggles, and you know the fact that you know it, it seems that a lot of people still aren't keen on on Mark Hughes being manager. Well, the thing with Palace is um, we've always kind of joked they're a one-man team in Zaha, but their record without him is something like no wins in, in games or something along mm-hmm. those lines. Um, and obviously, he missed out on Saturday, and they just couldn't score. They had, like you said, their numerous chances to do so. Uh, when he added in the mix, they got Benteke, who's just lost all confidence of being able to score a goal. It's like the opposition have got an extra defender when he's on the pitch mm. at the moment. He's uh, totally woeful in front of goal. Mm. So it was kind of a perfect storm yesterday for Southern. They'll, they probably can't believe their luck. They've managed to catch Palace on a day where not only that, but I think Tompkins was out as well for them at the, at the back. It was quite a big miss for them. But uh, Palace haven't really strengthened their team, particularly for yeah. last season. Mm. I think they've brought Kiate, um, who hasn't actually started for them yet. Uh, and Jordan Ayew, who replaced Zaha yesterday, and by all accounts, didn't really pull up yeah. any trees. So, um, without Zaha, if they were out, without him for any great period of time, I honestly could see them going down. That's how, that's how much of a difference he makes them. But if he plays every game, he's a game changer, and they'll be absolutely yeah. fine. Uh, in terms of Southampton, as I said, Danny Ings scoring, it's good to see him back after a, a real wretched couple of years with injury. Um, yeah, as I said, Mark Hughes, a lot of Southampton fans and a lot of football fans in general, I think, not overly enthused by 
by the appointment of Mark Hughes, I think it's safe to say. Does he have enough at the club at the moment where, where you think Southampton will be relatively safe, or is this a, a relegation battle season for them? I think Ings has made a bigger difference than I imagined he would, probably just because he hadn't played mm-hmm. for so long, um, or played consistently for so long. I, I didn't know how much of an impact he'd have. Um, and to me, it wasn't as if Southampton was short of forwards, like Charlie yeah. Austin. Um, is capable of scoring goals. He hasn't hasn't really happened for me yet this season. But uh, I didn't think another forward was necessarily the way they were, were going to improve. But um, to be fair, Ings has come in and he's he's been head and shoulders with everyone else they've got. Um, I mean, what, what do you think about Mark Hughes? Because I've I, I'd sort of assumed he'd become a busted flush after his door. Ex- yeah, I must admit, I'm I'm not terribly enthused by the the appointment. I think he is one of these managers who. I mean, it, it did. It did decent things at Stoke. Obviously, it ended poorly for them. Um, that's unfortunate. But yeah, I just I don't know if I believe enough, considering the kind of player he was. I don't get the impression that he's necessarily that kind of personality in the dressing room now. It's like I remember he was a he was a big tough, you know. He would get in about yeah. it on the pitch, and now you're looking at him, and it's it's a very different Mark Hughes. He's very, even even his I don't want to say tantrums on the the sideline because they're not that. You know, it just looks grumpy uh, most <laughs> of the time, rather than you know actually angry or you know looking to G's team up. So I think I think you're right. I think Ings has made much more of a difference than I would have expected. I think they're going to need him to keep doing that. Um, I don't think there's anyone else in that team that you can look at you can necessarily rely on the goals. Shane Long's never been that kind of striker. Charlie Austin has it in him, but just is another one who's kind of had a wretched few years with with injuries and actually getting a sustained run of games. And I just feel like they might need something in January, or I think they might be looking at a, a real tough season ahead of them. Yeah, it's Gabbiadini I can't figure out there because he joined yeah. um, probably 18 months ago now mm. maybe and he was unbelievable like he just didn't miss and Southampton got the final of the League Cup he scored twice obviously went on to lose that game and ever since ever since that game it doesn't seem to have been the same player for whatever reason um, and I just it's so strange to see someone come from Serie A and adapt so quickly and then sort of revert to type. Yeah, it's, he's been so invisible that I actually forgot he was there. Um, actually, oddly enough, it really reminds me as a Rangers fan, we, many seasons ago, had an Italian ourselves who set the world in fire for half a season, Marco Negri, and then just like Gabbiadini, oh, yeah. disappeared just as quickly. And it's it's really bizarre. <laughs> it's like they, they hit that six-month buffer, and all of a sudden, you know, I don't know if it's the cold gets to them or the diet or anything else like that, but yeah, it's. Um, I, th- I feel like if they could get him back to some kind of form, it's the old cliche. It would almost be like a new signing, but I just I don't know if I trust him at this point to do so. Um, no, probably not in a in a struggling team. Maybe if they uh, pick up a few wins and get a bit more comfortable yeah. and start passing about a bit out here, then who knows? But it's a uh, they're they're a strange team. You look at their team and it. it it doesn't strike with any fear as an opposition fan. If I was playing Southampton this weekend coming, I'd be thinking, well, yeah, you know, we'll there. Uh, keep it. As long as we don't make any stupid mistakes, there's no one there who's going to hurt you. I think we spoke before about uh, Tadic yeah. leaving mm-hmm. and not really being replaced. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of a 
streams team they've got there now. Uh, so we'll move on from that game. We'll go to Goodison Park, where Everton's odd start to the season continued. You know that they've they've played some really good football in Sparks, but only have the one win and four to show for it. One win, three draws. Uh, and that continued yesterday, uh, only getting a 1-1 draw with Huddersfield. Uh, Philip Billing opening the scoring for Huddersfield in the 34th minute. Dominic Calvert-Lewin scoring the equaliser. Um, interesting statistic from this game is that Everton had 11 shots on goal. Uh, only their goal was a shot on target. Um, that's perhaps not a surprise for anyone who's watched Theo Walcott. Over the over the years, <laughs> but um, yeah, it, I don't know how you feel about this, Dave. Everton definitely have. It, Everton are given the perception that they're better than they were last season, but they seem to be struggling to either score or put teams away at the moment. How do you think their season's gonna gonna pan out based on what you've seen so far? It's strange because they had one of the one of the nicer runs of fixtures um, to start mm-hmm. the season with and for all they haven't lost yet they've also failed to beat some fairly average teams for where Everton would want to be um, obviously the draw with Wolves on the opening day um, you know they went down to 10 early on so it's actually not a bad point in the end but at home to Huddersfield who have become maybe a bit unfairly but they've been sort of labelled as being the whipping boys because they've taken a yeah. few heavy mm-hmm. heavy losses to, to big sides you still expect Everton to beat a team like that at home and as you say there to only manage one shot on target uh, it's pretty poor form um, obviously Richarlison's missing he's scored three or four yeah. goals already um, but Torsen hasn't yet notched and he obviously is their main striker um, when he only got Nias in reserve yeah. it's, it's a bit concerning for them but they bought Adamola Luckman on uh, which I'm pleased to see because he did really well last season uh, in at uh, yeah. Leipzig mm-hmm. I think it was and uh, I was surprised to see him not close at that first team based on that uh, especially as you say with Walcott being very hit and miss he's actually started the season alright but <laughs> continue went off injured yesterday they, they need all the help they can yeah. get really yeah. um, defensively I think we, we need to talk about Everton Marco Silva is, is quickly developing a reputation as a manager who has his teams playing good football but they seem really susceptible to, to goals for set pieces and that came about again yesterday, Philip Bellin's goal coming from a corner kick um, no Ashley Williams really in that squad anymore um, they look suspect at the back don't they? You can see why I spent so much on uh, Yerry Mina, uh, he's obviously been injured since he joined but we saw in the World Cup how good he is in both penalty areas Um the sooner he's fit, the better for them, really. I mean, obviously, they were down to Holgate and Zuma on yeah. Saturday. Um, I'm sure Holgate will be very good in years to come, but he's relatively fresh in, in Premier League terms. Zuma, um, oh, I mean, where do you start with Kurt Zuma? He's, he was so promising. got that big injury at Chelsea, and for me, he's never really been the same. Mm-hmm. He keeps getting loans to Premier League clubs, but wasn't great at Stoke. Um, I'm not sure he's going to help Everton particularly, to be quite yeah. honest with you. Um Quick word on Huddersfield, uh, as you said, they've they've become known as the perennial weapon boys. Even though they're not in the bottom three at the moment, they already have joint worst goal difference in the league. I've uh, only scored two in their four games and have conceded ten. Um, David Wagner uh, is a manager who rightly has a reputation for having his teams try to play good football, but at some point, is that is that 
at what point does that stop being, you know, a commitment to good football and at what point in this kind of level of football does that start to become naivety? Well, they're getting a goal from set piece on uh, on Saturday. Obviously, you can mix it in, in different ways rather than just passing it about mm-hmm. all the time. But um, you know, it was nice in many ways to see them come up and stick to their principles of we're going to keep it on the deck and we'll you know we'll play our way. Um, they stayed up by the skin of their teeth. They were lucky to play Chelsea and Man City towards the end of the season, and the two teams didn't turn up. They got a point off each, and that effectively mm-hmm. saved them. Um, I just I can't see them scoring enough goals to stay up again. Um, they need a lot of their success really was built on not being fairly solid defensively. We haven't seen that yeah. so far. Uh, that's not to say they won't improve. I just played some big teams and taking some hammerings, but you know they won't be the only team who lose heavily to Chelsea and Man City this season. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, we'll leave that there and we'll move over to the Amex Stadium where Brighton hosted Fulham for one of the more entertaining games of the weekend. The game ended up 2-2. Fulham uh, storming into a two-goal lead. Andre Schuller scoring in the 43rd minute. Uh, Alexander Mitrovic then adding the second in the 62nd minute. However, from then it kind of went very very wrong for Fulham. Uh, Glenn Murray scoring in the 67th minute to get him back into it. And then scoring a penalty given away by Mitrovic in the, the 84th minute to leave the score at 2-2. Um... We'll start with Brighton on this one, Dave. Brighton are another team who, like Huddersfield, came up with a reputation for playing good football. Um, the difference, perhaps, between themselves and Huddersfield is that, although they didn't prove it yesterday, they're a little bit more solid defensively, I think. And perhaps more importantly, they have a goal scorer in Glenn Murray, who almost fits the kind of old-school mould of uh, English centre-forwards. You know, he's, he's not the most mobile He's not uh, a great passer of the ball, can't pick out a pass, but is just always in the right place at the right time. And now I think only uh, Sergio Aguero and I think it was Mo Salah have scored more home Premier League goals in the last 12 months than Glenn Murray. Um, is, is his, are Murray's goals got to be enough to keep Brighton up or do you think they'll, they'll need more? It's incredible really because uh, Hewton has been to the Dutch league and bought at least two strikers from there presumably with the intention to replace Murray with them and Murray's more or less seen them both off already um, it's surprising because their main man in the championship was Knockout and uh, he hasn't really done it on the Premier League stage yet they've still found ways to score goals as you said Duffy and Dunk throw themselves in front mm-hmm. of everything it's uh, you know it's there's no doubt that that was the the cornerstone of the success last season. Um, again, though, they haven't really improved the team particularly um, over the summer. I know they've signed a few players. None of them seem to really in the team particularly at the moment. Um, but they're just they're so good at home. I know they obviously came back from turning down on Saturday in a game they would probably have expected to win, but they, they don't lose that often at home, uh, which is fairly good waves of staying up. I mean, what, what do you think about Brighton? I mean, um, they're just there at the moment. Aren't they? Yeah, I'm, I mean, the, the thing I think most when I think of Brighton is how delighted I am for Chris Hewton. Uh, Chris Hewton mm. seems like one of the good guys in football. He's had a rough go of it. It seems to have been essentially handed the reins at clubs who are already doomed in a lot of ways. And perhaps <laughs> that, you know, that has uh, created an unfair reputation for him. 
as someone who maybe isn't the top tier of manager, but um, I'm, I'm just delighted that he, he managed to get Brighton up, that they, they stayed up last season, and that they continue to play some, some decent football. Um, David Proper, uh, who uh, set up Glenn Murray for the first goal yesterday, seems like a really good signing. I agree, I think they probably need more, but yeah, I'm just happy to see Brighton uh, competing at least. We've reached the point now where there are very few real kind of weapon boys, as you said, Huddersfield. Well, there'll be games where they'll lose five, six nil, probably three or four occasions this season, but they'll still go out and give it a go. And it's just it's good to see promoted teams no longer having, perhaps having that fear that um, that they used to in the past. Um, speaking of promoted teams, Fulham two nil up, uh, seemingly quite comfortable. You can't have it. Jokanovic must be kind of fuming that they've they've thrown away a, a almost certain three points in this, surely. It's the way they play. They, they only know one way to play, and that's to attack. Um, I mean, we've got to bear in mind Brighton missed a pen as well in the first mm-hmm. half, so it, uh, it's, the point's probably not that much a result in the end, but any manager who has been to and up will expect to win from there, but we saw both sides of Mitrovic obviously he scored um, not the type of goal he normally scores either where he chases, chased down the defender won it back yeah. scored and then obviously mm-hmm. gives away the pen later on um, I think after the first weekend in the season I said Mitrovic wouldn't get any more than 12 goals and he already has <laughs> four so what, what's, what's, what's your opinion uh, Mitrovic is it's in a lot of ways like Glenn Murray he's not the guy who you're going to expect to score the goal where he beats five players and you know dinks it over the keeper but he gets himself into good positions. He appears to have kind of got his discipline under control a little bit. Maybe that season in the championships really helped him in that regard. You know, maybe coming up against slightly more rugged defenders, he's had to rein that in a bit. Um, but for me, the, the the big story that came out yesterday for Fulham was one that Andrew Schuller is scoring again. Um, I think he's a, he was a big signing for them, perhaps because he wasn't the biggest money signing they made, it, it got overshadowed a little bit. Maybe people also remember the fact that his, his Chelsea run wasn't overwhelming. Um, but I think his goal yesterday, uh, by the way, shout out to, I think it was Seri who played the pass through. It was a lovely little pass to, yeah, yeah, to set that up. And I think if Fulham are, do have aspirations of kind of mid-table in their first season, and I think it's important that Schuller's, Schuller's involved. Um, I think you're right. I think he's a he's a proper coup from um, what was about six mil or something in the end. It wasn't yeah. much at all. Um, you know, considering some of the prices you get for players yeah. these days, that's a, it's a great deal. Uh, so we'll move from there on to Stamford Bridge. Uh, Chelsea eventually seeing off a fairly comfortable 2 0 win over Bournemouth, who, who had chances but obviously failed to take them. Um, Pedro opened the scoring eventually in the 72nd minute and then Eden Hazard scored the second in the 85th minute. Um, we talked previously, Dave, about uh, Chelsea after the Arsenal game and whether there were concerns there defensively. Uh, obviously it's a clean sheet, but it really felt like there were still occasions where the pace, or Callum Wilson in particular, uh, really caused Chelsea some problems. So while they're, they're Definitely not going to struggle to score goals. Uh, they're the joint league's top goal scorers at the moment. 
do we still think that there's real concern defensively there when they come up against the better teams? Yes. Uh, I mean, I'm kind of interested what will happen when they go up against one of the bigger mm-hmm. teams um, away from home. Because Bournemouth played the three centre-halves and more or less shut up shop as much as Bournemouth mm-hmm. can against Chelsea and they held them for a fair while similar to Newcastle the previous week um, the way Chelsea play with his very short yeah. passing everyone fairly close together it's actually not that hard to defend against in big numbers and I think teams have caught on to that already but the problem is it's just wave after wave of attack um, and Bournemouth did a similar minute to what Newcastle did I think really so it just goes to show that eventually they will wear you down but you cannot play David Luiz in a, in a two-man defence because the full-backs are so far pushed yeah. on anyway. I'm really curious to see if they adapt when they play against one of the stronger sides, particularly away from home, because um, I just think they'll get they'll get picked off. Yeah, I mean, the two kind of standout statistics from that game yesterday, they had, they had 24 shots, only six on target, which suggests that a few of them came from outside the box, as you, you said. Uh, 73% possession, and 704 passes uh, compared to uh, Bournemouth's 252. Um, Sari definitely, definitely likes to play expansive football. One of the one of the key changes that's been involved in that is obviously the change of role of N'Golo Kante, who last season was a, a real defensive dynamo for Chelsea all over the pitch. Uh, thrust into a slightly different role this season he's playing as kind of the right side of a centre three and being expected to contribute a, a lot more uh, is is he capable of playing that role over a whole season uh, do you think that's that's a good position for him or do you think at some point Sarri might have to, to kind of swallow his pride a little bit and play Kante where where everyone knows he's, he's one of the world's best well, the, th- the thing is with this is that we're all, we're all kind of learning as it goes because we've always used to seeing Kante sit in front of the defence and basically get mm. around the pitch, winning the ball back and playing it who Originally it was Danny Drinkwater at Leicester and then it moved on to you know, Fabregas and whoever else Chelsea have got. And he does the same with France where he can give it to Pogger and whoever else. So it's kind of new to us all seeing him popping up you know, 30 yards from goal. Um, for me, it feels a little bit like a square peg in a round hole. It's just He's obviously got the that ability to get there, but it doesn't seem right that you could have someone like a Loftus Cheek or even Barkley sat on the bench, who are more naturally attacking players. If you're playing at home to Bournemouth or Huddersfield or whoever you're playing against, who's you know the big mm-hmm. sides, why wouldn't you just play a naturally more attacking player in there? Absolutely. Um, quick word on Bournemouth. Um, this is the kind of result Bournemouth get away from home, isn't it? Bournemouth are, are going to live and die by how they get on at home this season. Didn't do a huge amount yesterday, but again, it feels like Callum Wilson being back and fully fit is going to be a, a big bonus for them in the later stages of the season. Um, will Bournemouth be okay this season, do you reckon? Oh yeah, yeah, that'll be fine. Uh, as you say, Wilson, uh, him and King seem to have a decent understanding. Uh, Ryan Fraser, I like as well on the. On the wing, um, I mean, Jamaica Foe's 
not even able to get anywhere near the on the bench on Saturday. I don't know if he's injured or whether he's just out of favour, but that tells you the, the strength and depth they've got yeah. at the minute. Uh, so we'll move from there on to perhaps the, the most unhappy group of fans in the, the league at the moment, which is saying something considering the, the, what's going on at Newcastle with Mike Ashby, who will come to later on. <laughs> uh, West Ham made it four defeats in a row, uh, losing again. Uh, this time to Wills, who scored uh, the winner in the third minute injury time through Adama Traore. Um, Dave, I'm looking at the statistics here. I mean, they don't make good reading for West Ham. You know, they're at home. They had less than half perse- possession. Uh, they had half the amount of shots on target that Wolves had. Uh, less passing accuracy. More yellow cards. Um, it just... West Ham looked like they'd made some good signings and uh, a, a guy that some of us know had, had said that he thought actually that West Ham were were probably going to blow up and it would appear despite Pellegrini's uh, pedigree as a coach and some of the signings they've made that he's exactly right. Um, what What is wrong at, at West Ham at the moment? I know we're only four games into the season. Other teams have lost they're opening four games, but you just get that feeling that West Ham are already in serious trouble. I think, and we've talked about this before, that they sent so many players. Um, I mean, the, if you look at their team yesterday, they had two new centre halves who were new to the league. They've got um, Felipe Anderson on one who's coming from Serie A, and again, for all, we've had a lot of talented players coming to the Premier League Serie A. Most of them have taken some time to mm-hmm. adapt. Um, you've then got Robert Snodgrass has somehow found himself back in <laughs> favour on the other wing I'm not, sh- not sure how that's happened but uh, and all of this leads to Arnautovic playing up front yeah. on his own um, he's, he's an excellent player Arnautovic he's West Ham's best player by a country mile but I'm not convinced about him playing up front on his own um, and then you look at the, the full backs obviously from what I was reading from a West Ham fan over the weekend, I think they played Ryan Fredericks at right back who at Fulham. You had to basically drag him back into his own half to defend, whereas apparently yesterday he was timid over halfway. I'm not sure whether it's the size of the crowd they have there now or how the stadium's set out. It's, it's not conducive to a game of football, I don't yeah. think, anyway. Um, it's just, there's nothing likeable about their setup. Um, and I'm not sure if Pellegrini is going to change his spots because he's, he's always liked to play two up front, yeah. really, in sort of a, almost like a 4-2-4. Um, and they just haven't got the players to do it. Yeah, the, for me, and I, I, I mean this is no disrespect to the guy, but the fact that Mark Noble is still starting a game uh, in a centre midfield for a team that's got aspirations of finishing top half of the table, to me kind of almost sums them up in a way I feel like Mark Noble's had his day and the fact that he's still there perhaps points to a dearth of of alternatives in that midfield Did you see the clip uh, when they played Bournemouth it was doing the rounds on Twitter where uh, Callum Wilson's running towards the West Ham goal and there's there's five West Ham defenders there and no kind of like jogging back and not really busting a gut to try and win the ball back and obviously Wilson goes on yeah. to score and it's it's kind of sums them up is that they're just, uh, they're just they've got no identity they're not going anywhere obviously it's going to take time for Pellegrini to get his stamp on things but he's not going to have an awful lot of time because they've lost four games I mean yes they were always going to lose at Anfield I think and one of the harder opening games he's going to have 
but since then they've lost to Bournemouth and they've lost to Wolves both at home I mean they're, they're the type of games they've, really? yeah. you'd expect an established Premier League team to pick up three points if not one point and they've lost Absolutely. them both you know Sam Allardyce is just sitting somewhere letting his chops at the thought that he's going to end up with that job somehow but that's, uh... well he's, he's already been there hasn't he I think he fell yeah. out with, uh, with the owners like everyone else yeah, does of course, of course. but um, <laughs> But, but money talk, especially with Sam, Sorry. as we know. So. Um, Wills, we've talked about, I think we're all agreed that Wills are going to be more than comfortable this season. Perhaps not European challengers as, as some people thought, but definitely uh, a talented team. Adama uh, Traore, their, their record signing, uh, did what we expected them to do. He runs at players, he's very direct, and the goal came as a direct result of that. Yeah, I mean, I think did they bring on towards they the did, end? Yeah. I mean, it's not it's, it's not really fair, is it, to bring <laughs> on someone that 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 quick against tiring yeah. legs? Uh, he's going to be a huge asset for them. And, and Wolves, I mean, what, what's impressed me is that they're not just they haven't just bought all these expensive players and sort of let them go out there and play. They have a proper tactician in the dugout as well, which I think is overlooked. I think that he knows exactly yeah. what he's doing. Uh, and they'll be absolutely fine. Uh, so we'll move on to yesterday's last game. Uh, Manchester City, the champions, eventually seeing off a determined Newcastle uh, 2-1. Uh, Raheem Sterling opening the scoring in eight minutes. I think a lot of people probably expected the floodgates to open at that point. But Newcastle, to their credit, dug in. Scored a very good uh, equaliser through DeAndre Yedlin in the 30th minute. Only to have that undone by a screamer from Kyle Walker in the 52nd that proved to be the winner. Um... We'll start with Newcastle, but as you're a Newcastle man, Dave, obviously Newcastle are, are not doing well on the table anyway. Obviously, they're already bottom three, one draw and three defeats in the first four games. But I don't know, maybe this is maybe I'm seeing this wrong, but it seems to me like, at the very least, Newcastle are competing in these games. And it kind of feels like, at some point, once... The, I mean, they've had a pretty wretched... Uh, first four games in terms of who they've played if they get a slightly easier schedule I'd, I kind of get the impression that Newcastle might be alright, you're obviously much closer to this than I am is is that the feeling around Newcastle fans or is there still concerns? I mean there'll always be concerns until we get that first win on the board, no one likes sitting with no wins after mm. four games but uh, as you say we, we've played Tottenham, we've played Chelsea and we've played Manchester City um, if those games were interspersed throughout the season and we got no points, no yeah. bat an eyelid, it's just really bad fortune that we've, we've got them so early on. I mean, we've got Arsenal straight off the international break, so it doesn't get particularly much easier mm-hmm. anyway. So, um, But on the end, we signed a handful of players. A lot of them are quite new at the league. Um, it's kind of my a bit negative, but I'm kind of happier we've played these teams we're not expected to beat. The players have got some minutes in their legs. They've got used to how we play, what the setup is. So hopefully, by the time we do get the, the slightly easier fixtures, um, we should be full steam, at, ready to ready to try and you know, climb the table against sides who are more our yeah. level. Um, it might be a negative looking at it, but you know, I've kind of seen three of these games as being pre-season friendlies, which, sure. which yeah. we're never really going to win. Obviously, we should really have beaten Cardiff, um, but. We won't be the only team who go to Cardiff and draw nil nil. I think that's the way Warnock sets his teams up. It's not always that great for attacking game yeah. of football. Um, 
we talked actually just very recently there about you know the fact that teams will sit in against Chelsea and, and let them come at them and and hope that Chelsea don't have necessarily have the nose to break them down. Almost worked for Newcastle against Manchester City yesterday, and it kind of feels like that's going to have to be the template. I mean, City had 24 shots, had 79% possession, had more passes than Chelsea at, at 700, uh, 767, um, and yet needed a, a kind of world-class goal to, to break Newcastle down. Is, is, is this... It's been something that's been levelled at um, Pep Guardiola before is that he doesn't have a plan B, that if his teams can't pass their way into the back of the net then they'll struggle. Have you seen anything that suggests that that's going to be an issue in Guardiola's second season? I think teams are starting to wise up to them a little bit. Um, not necessarily ourselves because we obviously still lost the game at Wolves the week before more than gave them a game. Uh and obviously, the longer a team goes on with this, with a similar set of players in kind of the same way, teams come up with ideas, and if one works, then the next team will try it, and so on and so forth. But it's always it always comes back to um, what team Guardiola puts out. And I actually thought yesterday more or less set it up in like a four-two-four kind of thing. And I'm not sure that really helps Man City. Um, they got away with it against Huddersfield because well, Huddersfield were rancid. The goalkeeper threw in a couple of goals for them, and yes, they end up winning heavily. But if a team's used to playing in a certain formation, to change it just because you're playing against a team who you think are going to shut up shop, I'm not sure that necessarily helps them a great deal. Um, and yes, they got the job done in the end. But anyone who watched the game, you couldn't argue with Man City winning. They had more of the ball, they had more of the chances, but they didn't exactly pepper the goal. They had. They had a moment at 2-1 where, obviously, they had three or four shots on the bounce, but that's sort of one attack. Um, it wasn't vintage Man City. No. Um, and from Newcastle's point of view, I mean, we we were with the ball. Like, for all we will say, we defended well. I hope we don't play like that against anyone who we're trying to beat because we are so poor in possession, it was unbelievable. Yeah, I but, think um, the pass accuracy percentage was something like 63% or something, which is obviously... <laughs> You're not going to get my results against against teams with that, but as you said, it's also playing against Man City who play that kind of press, so it's perhaps not a huge surprise that one. Um, still, though, four games in now, do we still think it's City for the title? Do we expect they'll they'll sort this out, or do you think there's a real opportunity here for someone else to to come up on the rails? I think they've got more years to go uh, I think as well they've got to bear in mind obviously De Bruyne is missing and for all we can say oh you know they've got X, Y and Z who are still great mm-hmm. players they're not as good as De Bruyne um, David Silva's excellent um, very similar to De Bruyne in some ways but at the same time when you've got them both on the pitch how do you yeah. stop them both mm-hmm. when there's only one of them on the pitch it's probably a little bit easier to try and yeah. figure it out uh, I was a bit surprised Gundogan didn't play yesterday because I think he's done a good job replacing De Bruyne um, might have something to do with why they weren't as, as slick as they have been in some matches but uh, uh, it's, it's hard to look past a squad like that where, where Sarnia can't get in the 18 yeah. like it's it's <laughs> very hard to see past them when the, the title but yeah. we'll see uh, we'll move on to today's games now. First up is uh, we go to Cardiff, where Cardiff uh, 
put up a valiant effort against Arsenal but eventually fell 3-2 uh, Shkrodan uh, Mustafi opening the scoring in the 11th minute for Arsenal uh, Victor Camarasa equalising uh, an injury time in the first half uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang then putting Arsenal back in front in the 62nd minute only for Danny Ward to equalise for Cardiff in the 70th before Alexander Lacazette uh, scored the winner in the 81st minute um, we we need to talk about Arsenal's defence here Dave it feels like it's going to be a recurring <laughs> theme here uh, Cardiff had 27% possession they only had 233 passes they only had a pass accuracy of 66% and yet managed to score two of their three shots on target. Um, for the first time this season, Arsenal's uh, kind of attacking verve was enough to see them through this, but Arsenal can't possibly finish top four with, with a defence as poor as this, can they? Uh, no, I wouldn't think so. None of them, none of them can defend. Uh, Obviously, with James, who is a regular on this podcast, is an Arsenal fan, and he he doesn't rate Koscielny. So if he doesn't rate Koscielny, and he's supposedly out of the three, <laughs> and he's still to come back, I mean, what what chance have they got? I mean, Socrates doesn't doesn't have a left foot, doesn't seem to have mm-hmm. any pace. I don't actually know what he has. I don't know what what they're seeing him. Um, Mustafi's flaws have been for years for people to see. The two fullbacks, I mean. Bellerin likes to go forward but doesn't seem that much of a defender Monreal's he's alright Xhaka gives them no protection I mean, you could go on all day about how how, how bad yeah. they are um, and against Cardiff obviously they're, they're a team who like the the Bolton and Stokes of years ago who Arsenal to struggle against they're probably the closest thing to that in the league at the moment and it wasn't really a surprise to see them scoring from crosses and set pieces yeah. that kind of thing um, on Cardiff yeah this is the kind of game that probably doesn't uh, Neil Warnock probably not a huge fan of actually I think you're right he's looking to set up shop and, and steal single goal victories here and there um, they were game enough but again I don't think anyone's looking at this game and, and feeling like they've got enough to stay up at this point are they? No, no, I think they'll be uh, just about everybody's favourite to finish bottom. Uh, I mean, as you say, they, they competed, they, they gave it a go, but they're, um, they're, every game's like a, like a cup tie where you, you feel like they are massive underdogs, not like just like a, a lower-level Premier League club. You actually feel like they're a division below than most clubs, uh, which might be a little bit unfair, but they came up and they didn't really buy anybody mm-hmm. of note. Um, I don't count Harry Arder in that. Um, it's uh, it's very hard to see them staying yeah. up. Uh, going forward, Arsenal obviously scored three. You know, for all the defensive difficulties they've got, I think they're kind of joint second top scorers in the league with eight goals in the first four games. Uh, is do you see any way in which Aubameyang and Lacazette could play up front as a partnership? Because it appears that Emery doesn't fancy doing that, but they are, I think, unquestionably at this point, Arsenal's two best forwards. Is there a way that can work? Or do you think, I mean, Lacazette was, was linked with a fairly late move in the transfer deadline. Um, can this work? Or do you think one of them is, is probably going to have to be sacrificed long term? No, I think it can work. I think that they link up really well together. Uh, towards the end of last season, in the handful of games where they did it, they were they were great. Um, to me, what what I would do is I would switch to three at the back. Then his full backs can push on, 
um, without sort of leaving gaping holes I do at the minute. You can go to three in the middle, which will give him a bit more stability. Um, it means Mesut Ozil wouldn't get much game time, but is that really a bad thing? <laughs> and then obviously you're left with the, the two big lads up front. I mean, what, what would you do? I mean, it's, for me, me well, Ozil's there, it's very difficult not to play him. And Ozil should be licking his chops at the, the thought of playing behind either uh, Aubameyang or Lacazette, or indeed, as you suggest, both. Um, but then that does leave Arsenal have already got severe defensive problems. If you're having to play, or if you're playing Ozil, Lacazette, and Obama Yang, then you know you're essentially defensively playing with you know seven players at that point. Um, yeah. And considering you're then looking to squeeze in the likes of Iwobi and Mkhitaryan and so on, and you know Arsenal's defensive problems, if anything, would only be exa- exacerbated by playing. Playing the three, um, I agree with you. I think it can work. I think, unlike West Ham, I think Arsenal have got a front two that that, that can work. Uh, I think if, it's just a case of putting the right players around them. But Emery at the moment doesn't have those players. I think. Um, I think, as I think we said the other week, you know, this is a situation Emery's going to need three or four transfer windows to sort out for Arsenal. And it's really just going to be a case of whether Stan Kroenke is is going to give them that backing. I think they've got they've got more chance of winning the Europa League than they have of finishing the top four. Mm-hmm. Um, they were fairly unfortunate last season to get the side of Atletico Madrid's quality in the yeah. last four. Um, obviously, any cup competition you're relying on look at the draw somewhat, but um, they'll get through the groups with minimal force and then they have a proper go at it after Christmas. Um, I still say they'll be sixth in the league. I've seen little thing they'll be above that, but uh, I think they've got a real good chance of winning the Europa League. I suppose they're probably the biggest obstacle is Chelsea, ironically, <laughs> yeah. but uh, it depends on the Champions League, I guess. Indeed. Um, so, yeah, we'll leave that game there and we'll move on to our second last game of the day. Uh, Watford uh, continue to surprise at the top of the table, now four wins out of four coming from behind to beat a Tottenham team who you would have presumed would be fairly buoyant after their performance against Manchester United last week. Uh, Tottenham opened the scoring in this game with a own goal from Abdoulaye Dekour, uh but then two goals in seven minutes from Troy Deeney and Craig Cathcart turned the tables and Watford were able to see that one out. Um, Tottenham, I felt... I felt that Tottenham's part in the Manchester United game last week, if I'm being honest, was played up a little too much because Man United are clearly a club with a lot of problems at the moment. Um, And today's game, to me, kind of shows the folly of them not buying anyone in the transfer window. It still feels very much like if Harry Kane doesn't score, Spurs don't score. Um... Do you think they've made a mistake not buying anyone uh, in the transfer window, or do you still think that, that, that a certain amount of continuity probably works out better for them in the long run? The problem Tottenham have got, and I th- thought this in the summer, is that I'm not sure how you improve that team without selling one of the main players, because it's very hard to sign someone for big money to say, well, you're going to be on the bench, yeah. and you'll, you can come on and play the cup games or you know anything like that so I'm not sure they've sort of got themselves in this position where it's, it's very hard to see how you can improve the squad without upsetting yeah. somebody um, 
I, I was looking at the game today, I don't know if you watched it, but um, they played the three centre-halves, and the first hour, I just thought there's absolutely no way Watford are yeah. going to score here, because every time they went forward, one of the three centre-halves was always there, pick it off, they can all play, and it was just totally one-way traffic mm-hmm. until Spurs scored. Um, but what happened after that, I'm still <laughs> unsure really, obviously two, two, two set-piece goals, um, which just goes to show you can be as great as you want, but you can't defend a set-piece, makes no difference. But uh, I don't know what you, if you've noticed this, but since the yeah. World Cup, even during the World Cup, Harry Kane is playing deeper and deeper to the point where he's almost a number 10 now. Yeah, and in the World mm-hmm. Cup there was Sterling, and now it's Lucas Moura, and it seems to be like this new, this new thing they've thought of where Kane can come deep and link the play for a pacey amanda to stretch the yeah, defence. Yeah, it's, um, it's odd. There are real parallels with the kind of way Wayne Rooney's career went in a lot of ways. He started out obviously as a, an out-and-out striker, but it, as he became a kind of more main man, I don't know if this is just a thing in football now where teams don't believe that the main man can just be a striker, whether they need him <laughs> to do more. Harry Kane's perfectly capable of drifting back and playing short passes and so on, but I don't feel like he can play that kind of fulcrum role the way that, that Pochettino seems to be looking to set them up at the moment. Um, it's Yeah, I agree with you. I think Tottenham's starting 11 is arguably as strong as anyone in the Premier League and the difficulty comes from then, well, who do you leave on the bench? Um, and perhaps that's why they didn't sign anyone. But the problem, of course, is that when it's not working, as it didn't for, for large parts of today, they don't really have a huge amount they can they can change. Um, yeah, it's an odd one. It's, if I'm a Spurs fan and I'm looking at starting 11, I'm really happy. But if I'm looking at that bench, I'm seeing nothing there that's going to win a game off the bench. Well, that's it. I suppose on the, on, if you've had your negative hat on, you'd say, well, I've got no plan B, they've made no signings, and I've got any, any, I haven't actually got mm-hmm. a stadium yet. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But, but on the other hand, you know, they've got one of the best teams in the league and Champions League football to look forward to, so it can't be all that absolutely. bad, I suppose. Um, yeah, Watford uh, continue to be the shock troops. Uh, as I said, four wins out of four now, so they're up, uh, I think it's second place at the moment in the, the league table. Um, Gracia has got them playing very efficiently if nothing else I think we could say I mean they were at home today but only had 34% of possession so it's clear that they themselves were very much set up to to kind of hit Spurs on the the counter attack Um, this kind of late career uh, renaissance for Troy Deeney has been something of a a revelation every time you think that maybe this is the season where they'll look to to kind of move away from him and go to somebody else it pops up with the important goals um, yeah how long could Watford keep this up I guess is the question they're obviously not going to stay there uh, kind of all season but I mean how long can they kind of upset the apple cut <laughs> probably the international breaks come at a bad time for them um, obviously when you're winning you just want to keep playing every week I, I don't know what their fixtures look like off the top of my head but um, there's no substitute really in football for confidence so if you've got a team that's winning every week they'll just want to keep playing and keep running they um, you there. It's, it's funny because last I think it was last season they uh, he went through this phase of just being very very angry <laughs> and being sent off or being punished retrospectively for 
basically strangling opposition players, that kind of thing, and uh, I kind of assumed he'd, he was way out on the decline. Um, generally, Watford fell off a cliff once the whole Marco Silva rumours started last season, and then obviously replaced him with, with, with Gracier, and I think I've said on this podcast before, I didn't expect anything from them this season, I thought they would juggle, but um, they've showed me to be an idiot so uh, yeah, I, mean, I, think, I, I think I tipped Watford as the third team to go down between two of the, two of the promoted clubs so I, I'm right there with you um, <laughs> but yeah so there's Watford still shocking people up at the top of the table uh, we'll go on to the last game of the, the weekend then uh, Burnley uh, who themselves are having a pretty wretched run of form uh, going down 2-0 to Manchester United who got a morale boost and win Romelu Lukaku scoring in the 27th and 44th minute. Uh, Marcus Rashford then being sent off for a, a really stupid headbutt, um, which kind of gave Burnley a little bit of a lifeline, but they weren't able to capitalise, and that was how the game finished. Um, we'll start with Burnley, actually. At Man United, I think the problems are well documented. There was plenty of other things to talk in that game about today as well. We'll come on to Paul Pogba very shortly. But... Um, Burnley were, were somewhat of a revelation last season, um, had a really good season, qualified for Europe, um, but are now sitting second bottom, having only taken one point from a possible four, uh, 12. Um, Burnley, has European football actually kind of contributed to their start to the season? Um, they're not really a squad built for Thursday Sunday, Thursday, Sunday games. Um, now that they're out of the, the Europa League, do we expect to see Burnley kind of leap back up the table? Or do you think this is a sign of, of things to come? Uh, maybe not leap back up the table, but I think uh, we were just talking there about a team who didn't want the international break. Sean Dyche will be over the moon to have two weeks to think in time because the games have come so thick and fast yeah. at the minute. Playing Thursday, playing Sunday, and then off to Greece and then put another Premier League game so on and so forth um, he'll be chuffed to have two weeks just to actually let the dust settle and figure out what he's doing here because Burnley's success last season was based on them being uh, very very organised um, scoring not a lot of goals but enough goals to see them over the line and without that preparation they've become a very average side again um, I think they'll be absolutely fine but they need the, uh, they need to get their first win under the belt after the international break and then just build again from there the squad's obviously taken a bit of a hit I think they had a young lad on the wing today called McNeil I mm-hmm. think his name was um, so the squad's obviously starting to show a few cracks there's various injuries and things uh, packing up but um, you wouldn't look at that team and think ah, they'll, they'll go down I think they'll be fine but um, they're, no, they're not going to be anywhere near as they were last yeah. season uh, speaking of teams who haven't been fine, it's uh, another weak installment in the, the saga that is Manchester United. Um, comfortable <laughs> enough today, I mean, they, they dominated proceedings, 21 shots, 9 on target, 54% possession. Um, but there still continues to be these little niggles. Paul Pogba uh, missing a penalty, you know, th- people have been fairly critical of his run-up style and the penalties he's taken so far. Finally caught up with him today where he missed one. And then, of course, Marcus Rashford, kind of fairly unusually for him, uh, let the red mist descend and was sent off for what I think most people agree was a fairly fairly easy decision, a blatant headbutt. Um, 
is, is Jose Mourinho any closer to getting this sorted? Do we think that now that the transfer window's closed, he's been able to hold on to certain players, his squad is now settled for the next few months, do we th- expect to see an upturn in their fortunes, or do you think that these problems at this point go too deep for it to be to be turned around? It depends what, what people want for Man United this season. Um Winning at Burnley's, it's not, it's not a shock result, let's be fair. You'd expect Man United to win that game 99 times out of 100, really. Um, I think uh, I think they will be absolutely fine in terms of finishing the top six, but whether they can go beyond that, I'm not really sure. Obviously, the, the defensive problems have been highlighted uh, so over the first three or four weeks of the season, and that's not going to fix itself. And he's, he's played probably three or four different systems in the in the four games they've had so he's obviously not 100% sure what he wants to do yeah. himself um, it's it's entertaining as a neutral but um, I don't think they're any closer to saying oh yes this is our identity or this is how we want to play um, by all accounts Sanchez played quite well today but then got taken off after an hour which seemed to upset him uh, so who only knows what's going on behind the scenes there because it's you say it's, if it's, it's not one thing it's another there's always a headline they don't want it's, um, it's it's unusual but it's strange how it always seems to unravel for Mourinho in the third season yeah it's, it's uncanny how often that it seems to happen for him but um, well that's been the weekend's fixtures uh, just a quick run down the table uh, we've got three teams now kind of leading the way at the top Liverpool, Chelsea, Watford all on 12 points with Man City settling in just behind on 10 uh, Tottenham then in 5th place with 9 Bournemouth, perhaps surprisingly, in six with seven points. And then the four teams on six points, Everton, Leicester, Arsenal and Man United, taking up places seven to ten. Uh, Wolves then settling in at 11th with five points. Southampton, Fulham, Brighton taking up the next places with four. Crystal Palace on three. Cardiff, Huddersfield on two. Newcastle and Burnley on one point and West Ham, as we mentioned, are still waiting to pick up their first point of the season. Um... Yeah, that's 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 pretty much it for the weekend. No Monday game, uh, so that's where we'll leave it, and we'll come back to you guys uh, next week with another roundup. Um, Dave, if anyone's looking to to kind of catch up with you on all things Newcastle or otherwise, where can they find you on social media? Uh, so on Twitter, I am at cm nine seven nine eight. You can find me uh, on Twitter at site Tyson, and of course, yeah, if you follow the man on the post account at man on the post uh you'll see that we've actually got a whole raft of shows going on now uh content most of the week which is which has been really exciting to see there's some really good stuff in there but uh yeah we'll leave that there and we'll catch up with you next sunday and don't forget to leave a man on the post